0: This is Closer to the Fire, from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, with a focus on the persecuted church. When a Muslim comes into a relationship with the Jesus of the Bible, it is both very exciting, but can be very dangerous, and in some cases, persecution soon follows, including imprisonment, torture, and in some cases, even death. Over the years, I've met many men and women, teenagers, and even children, who have left Islam to follow Jesus, knowing the risks of that decision. On this episode, I'll be talking to the daughter of a former Muslim who spent almost two years in prison where he was tortured for his faith while dealing with a serious health issue. But during this time, in prison, he led more than two dozen Muslims to Jesus. Now, Because of security reasons, we can't identify the father or the daughter or the country they fled from, but we can tell you it is in the Middle East. The family is now out of the Middle East and waiting to come to Canada through a church sponsorship program. Now, later and closer to the fire, I will be talking to Jenny Niedema of Remember Ministries, and that is an organization that partners with churches in Canada to bring Christian refugees to this nation, why that's important, and how you can also get involved. But first, let me introduce you to Sarah. That's what we're going to call her. And if you are listening to this podcast, we have also hidden her face. Sarah, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much for having me, and I'm really glad that I can do this interview with you.
0: Oh, we're sure glad to have you as well. So let's go back to 1993. Your father left Islam in a Muslim country to become a Christian. Of course, that's very dangerous. What led up to that decision, Sarah?
1: Yes, my dad became a Christian in 1993. But before uh, 1993, before he decides to announce that he was a believer of Jesus Christ, Uh, He had uh, many questions about the Qur'an, Islamic religion, and the Prophet Muhammad. And he would ask these questions to the religious man of Islam. But he he never got the answers that he wanted, and that made him to have even more doubts about Islamic religion. And that's when he decided to meet Christians. and uh, ask them these questions that he had. Maybe at that time he would get answers, which he did. And uh, after having many dreams of Jesus Christ, he decided in 1993 uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, we hear a lot about Muslims that have had dreams, and that's how they become Christians. But it's a part of the process, so they then have to talk to Christians. Uh, and, And that was very dangerous for your dad to do that, especially in a Muslim country.
1: Yes, that's true. It's very dangerous. And that was the reason why he was rejected by his friends and family, uh, even by his parents and siblings. Uh, They did not want him. And uh, even from my mother's side, uh, they were both rejected because they, uh, they converted to Christianity.
0: Yeah, so five years later, your mom became a Christian. So what was it like for you growing up in a Christian family, and you also have three brothers as well, but for as a family uh, being now minorities in a very strong Muslim culture?
1: Yes, that's true. Uh, my dad uh, became a Christian in 1993, and then following in 1998, my mom became a Christian uh, when she was uh, giving birth to my youngest brother. Um And while she was delivering, she she had a a dream of Jesus Christ. And that's the day that she decided, because she was in a very uh, difficult situation of giving birth. And uh, it was proof to her that she needs uh, to follow Jesus Christ. But then afterwards, because she also followed Jesus Christ with my dad, then she was also um, hated by her family and all people around her. And of course, it wasn't easy for myself and my siblings to live in a a family that the parents have converted to Christianity, even though we are born as Christians, we can say. Um, At home, we had a totally different world than the the world outside. Even in school, we had to sometimes uh, hide our religion because uh, we were hated for it. Uh, Nobody accepted the reality that we have converted to Christianity because when we are born In such a country, um, it's decided from the first moment uh, on our um, uh, personal IDs or, let's say, um, birth certificates, uh, what our uh, religion would be. So our religion was Islam.
0: Were you ever frustrated because your family were Christians and you weren't being as accepted in the greater society?
1: Uh, I cannot call it frustration because my parents are were very loving parents, and uh, the Christianity world that we were raised in was a was a very kind, peaceful world. Um, we actually hated the outside world because it was not fair to us. Um, other kids were uh, were were very strangers to, to us so um We were very happy, to be honest, with our religion and beliefs, and we always thought from a very young age that they were going in a wrong way, and we were doing the very right thing.
0: Not only were your parents Christians, but your dad was a pastor. Uh, Did that add to the problems in terms of being ostracized and going through difficulties in your culture?
1: Yes, my dad being a pastor in the church definitely was uh, something more serious and we had to, um, uh, the thing is that uh, in school we have to uh, be taught an an Islamic class and that's by force. Uh, We have no option to say no to it because we are born as Muslims and our identity proves that. So if we say that we are Christians, then that will cause um, more (laughs) serious problems to my parents. So we definitely don't go into that question and we don't ask uh, our teacher to leave the class. Um, and then my dad being a pastor, more people heard about this and more neighbors uh, figured out what our uh, father's um, job was. And of course, uh, our, our friends and families and neighbors and whoever we would meet, they would start uh, questioning us um, What was our dad doing and um, the situation was more serious, was becoming more serious.
0: In a moment, sir, we're going to talk about your father being arrested in 2011, but prior to that arrest, were there some other difficulties and problems and persecution that you and your family were facing as a result of your, I mean, not, your dad was not only pastoring a church, but he was extremely active in, you know, spreading Christianity and humanitarian work and all those kinds of things. So were the things that were going on before the arrest? Yes. So in
1: 2007, uh, my dad, um, my dad uh, decided to have a have his own church, and that's when uh, he got extremely active in Christianity world. And uh, more and more people started to come to our church, and more Muslims were converting to Christianity. And then later on, my dad also started to get extremely active in the humanity uh, activities with uh, foreign. Uh, uh, organizations that were in, in our country at that time, and that let uh, even the people that have not heard about my dad and the church, they started to to hear about, which was something that the government did not like at that time. So they took my dad to prison for seven days in 2007, um, and they told him, "You, we can release you only under one condition, is that you have to close your church because we know that you are Christian, but you as a, as a born Muslim, you cannot have this right. There is no such a, such a right in, in, in the law of my country. So the only solution is to close this church. And that's what my dad did as soon as he was released. Uh, but that did not stop my dad to, uh, to still meet people in our own home. So he basically opened uh, a home church and started meeting in our home. And of course, because we had many uh, converted Christians, so uh, when we would meet, uh, we would be over 30, 40, sometimes even to 50 people would be in our house.
0: Your father knew that there was huge risks at even meeting in homes and trying to be careful. Uh, and having a wife and children, did he ever consider maybe that he shouldn't be doing you know, Christian ministry, that maybe just keep even a lower profile?
1: Yes, uh, my dad was aware of the uh, dangerous situation that uh, we would go through because of his decision. Uh, but the thing is, from the beginning, uh, my dad had this vision of having the church. Um, In my country, there are no much people supporting converted Christians, uh, people who have come from Islam. So it was something that my dad tried his best to help uh, such people like us, like my family. So he did all that it takes to still be connected um, to Muslims who are willing to to come to Christianity. Uh, And even at times where he was so concerned and afraid of this idea, uh, my mom would always encourage him and say that, you know, Jesus will uh, will help us. He will protect us. So don't worry about this. And when the, uh, there were times, to be honest, that even us and uh, even myself and my siblings have uh, told my dad, maybe this is the day that we should stop this uh, because people always pressured us, uh, neighbors always questioned us. As soon as we would go to the yard or open, open the door, they would look at us in, in very strange looks. Uh, it was not something normal to have so many people, so many strangers uh, hanging around your house or coming in, in, into, into your home. So to them, this was definitely something questionable.
0: Sarah, how did that impact your faith with all that was going on? You knew that you were in constant danger. Uh, Your parents, though, very passionate about sharing the message of Jesus. But how did that affect you?
1: Um, At that time, I I know when people hear it, they probably um, think of us. We were uh, maybe, we were very uh, small at age and we did not realize what was going on. Maybe it's true, but at the same time, when I think back, I I can see how the Holy Spirit was working uh, through my family um, and through us. Uh, you know, we, we didn't, even though we knew about the danger that we were living in, but still the love of Jesus Christ and the vision that we had for our country was stronger than being afraid and being quiet and hiding our religion and our beliefs. There was something that when people ask us what are your beliefs we could not lie about it Uh, simply we like even some friends of us when they they hear about our persecution they ask us why didn't you hide why didn't you say in that situation that no i am not christian or why did you not ignore that question it was something at that time that we could not do and i believe. 100% 100% that was from Jesus Christ because there were so many people that needed to hear about Jesus Christ and what happened to us as per- persecution, even though is like we are still hurt from it uh, because it's definitely something not fair that happened to us and nobody has to be persecuted for their faith. Nobody has to hear anything hurtful because of what they believe in. Uh, but at that time, we did not care.
0: And I like how you say that too, you know, it's difficult to go through persecution. It's not pretty. We never try to glorify persecution in any way. It, it hurts families. Uh, you know, people like your father imprisoned and your family was, you know, put into turmoil as a result of that. But Sarah, was it understanding also what the Bible teaches about persecution that helped you and your family withstand all the things you were going through?
1: Yes. Um, You know, if you look back to the examples that we have in the Bible, uh, most of them did not have a pretty life. They did not have a pretty experience of believing in Jesus Christ. They were all persecuted, hated, uh, not loved. Um, And I think that's normal. Jesus himself was not loved by the people that even had to love him for what he was. So why... I don't blame such people. I don't blame the people that hated us and persecuted us because just like Jesus said, uh, they don't know what they are doing. They don't know the true way. They don't know the true God. So how would they know how to treat us for our faith?
0: Well, sir, I certainly can see your spiritual maturity there, you know, being raised in a home where your parents are so passionate about Jesus and, you know, for others to come to know him. uh, Amazing. And I'm looking forward to meeting you and your parents when you arrive in Canada. But let's now talk about your dad's story. And again, we don't want to endanger you or your family. So we're not getting into all the specific details. and, And we will at a later date, whether on this program or 100 Huntley Street, but I want to talk about your dad's story. So he was arrested in 2011 and charged and I guess, arrested for spying for another neighboring country. But do you believe that he was arrested and put in prison for his Christian activities? And as you mentioned before, you know, preaching, handing out Bibles, handing out food.
1: Yes. By the year 2011, um, uh, a a huge number. I, I, I don't even remember the number that have heard about Jesus Christ through uh, my family and through my, my dad specifically. And we had uh, a big number of missionaries that uh, came to my country because of this move that we were doing in my country. Uh, obviously, the government was not so happy, and especially the religious man. In my country, the, the, the religious is connected to government in a, in a direct way. So, it was not something fun that was going on in, in, in the real life. And they tried in all ways to control my dad and his activities as a, as a Christian man. Uh, that's when they took him in 2011. Uh, suddenly, one day uh, afternoon, some uh, unknown cars uh, stopped in front of our house. And uh, these men were not even uh, wearing. Uh, any um, any go- uh, governmental uh, uniforms uh, later on, because my dad was lost after they took him for one month uh, for thirty days to be exact, uh, then we found out that the, the, the people that have took him were actually the government and they have uh, took him for an investigation for his faith and the activities that he did as a Christian man and why he was delivering Bibles with the human work that he was doing.
0: So was he actually ever charged with anything, Sarah?
1: No, actually, my dad was not charged with anything officially because in, in my country, uh, the government says that you have the right to change your religion and beliefs. But in reality, when you live in this country, you have no rights, absolutely no rights, uh, to announce or to believe in the religion that you choose. You're only uh, choosing your religion based on, on your background and uh, from which family you are born from. So, um, of course not.
0: So eventually your dad uh, was sentenced to five years in prison. What was he charged with?
1: Uh, my dad was not charged with anything, to be to be honest. Uh, nothing at all. And the two years that he spent in, in prison... Uh, he was left with uh, with no uh, no court dates no uh, there was no courting that went on uh, we even had lawyers um, more than one lawyer that hired for for uh, taking care of his case but because there were no courts so they they could not do anything but my dad was uh, during these two years he was uh, under continue um, continued investigations of Um, him being Christian and pastoring a church and working with foreign organizations uh, in my country.
0: What was it like, Sarah, when your dad was in prison for your mom and for you and your siblings? Because, you know, your dad's not able to provide an income and things were very difficult.
1: It was extremely difficult uh, having a family without uh, a father or the head of the family when it's gone other than the the case of us being treated unfairly just because my dad decided uh, Christianity or decided to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, he was truly helping people in this. He was not forcing anybody to to become Christian. He was not forcing anybody to receive a Bible. All the times that we have delivered a Bible or um, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was by their own Uh, Agreement. Um, So uh, when my dad was taken for the second time, uh, it really broke us. It broke our hearts. Um, It made us feel very unsafe. Um, That's that was the real persecution. This time was the real persecution. In 2007, it wasn't so serious, but this time was really serious, and it made us more afraid because my dad. I'll be like. Previously, I told you he was gone for one month. So we had all options in our head. Maybe we will not see him anymore. Maybe this is the last time. And you asked me previously if we were um, frustrated because we were Christians. Um, When we were like before that, before the uh, presentment of my dad, it wasn't. That feeling wasn't there, but in 2011, when my dad was taken, yes, uh, we felt all all the frustration, all the worriness that someone can have because of being treated that way.
0: How is that affecting your faith, Sarah, and also your mother and your brothers?
1: Um, it definitely made our faith stronger. and. It never lessened the level of of the of our belief in Jesus Christ, but um, I'm so sorry. <sighs> You know, we love Jesus Christ and there is nothing in the world that, that can make us just to take a step back from, from our faith. And what happened in 2011 was only... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Can, I, can you give me a second? Yes, um, when my dad was taken in two thousand eleven, uh, it was it was really really hard. Um, everyone sobbed, everyone cried. Uh, I I remember um, there were nights that each one of us would would put our heads on the pillow and we would cry ourselves to sleep. Um, we would be scared of the of any sound that would come out from the windows or the doors, we would be scared of any phone ringing. Uh, we were scared of almost everything around us at that time. Um, for some time, we, we locked ourselves um, because we, we were now not, not only afraid for my dad that was in prison, in a, in a really bad prison, uh, the prison that my dad was in, it wasn't a good one, they tortured him, they treated him very badly. He was kept with a huge number of prisoners in one room. Uh, as he says, he did not even have uh, the space to lay down at, at night. Um, so there were so many things uh, that scared us as, as that uh, in that time. Uh, but to be honest, the only thing that kept us strong and kept us to this day was uh, the Holy Spirit kept reminding us that this will go away, this will be resolved, uh, uh, my dad would be re- released. Uh, we knew that my dad would have a bad experience in prison, but we definitely knew that one day he would be freed. Uh, and the fear of of losing him was only from, from Satan, because uh, the promise of Jesus Christ is greater than than our feels and what, what goes on in our head.
0: You know, Sarah, when I hear your story and I see your emotion, I'm reminded, you know, what the Bible does teach us that, you know, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer and, and our hearts go out to you and your family. Um, The bravery uh, that you have all showed is, is so amazing and we so appreciate you. And, And I know reliving the story is, is not easy. And I appreciate you doing that today and, uh, again, we're looking forward to your family getting into a place of safety into Canada and some of the traumas that you've gone through uh, can be healed. And uh, we're going to be praying for you and your family as we're hearing your story. Uh, let's go now back to your dad. He was taken to prison. And as you said, one of the most you know terrible prisons in that particular country, he was mistreated. And also, Sarah, he had a serious medical issue as well.
1: Yes, uh, the prison that my dad was living in was not in a good condition. Um, uh, they were not uh, seeing the sun so much. And um, uh, and the first 10 days that what my dad was taken, he was basically tortured um, by putting him at night in a very tight room, in a very small room where he could not lay down. And it was really, really dark with no windows, only had one door and um the when morning would come come out uh the guard would uh blindfold him and chain his uh legs and, and hands and uh they would walk him to somewhere that he could not ever see it because he was kept blindfolded the whole uh time but he could tell that it was somewhere outside in um uh in 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 the sunlight because he he started to feel the heat Uh, my dad was taken in july 2011 so it's really extremely hot in my country at that time uh if you stay out for for let's say five minutes you get you get sunburn because because of the heat and adding to that they would uh, uh forced to sit set him down um between three compressors uh, blowing very hot air on him. So he suffered from burns on his skin, whole, his whole skin, his hands, his legs, his face, uh, anywhere that uh, this hot air would blow on it. Um, and because of that, my dad lost uh, lots of weight. Uh, when, we, uh, when we were able to visit him later uh, in prison, uh, we could not wait his, uh, like, we, would, uh, we couldn't wait him to know exactly how, uh, how much he was, how many kilos. He looked like my uh, middle brother. So, my middle brother is like uh, 60 to 65 kilos. So, that's how my dad looked at that time. So uh, he was pretty skinny. He had lost lots of weight. And, and before my dad goes to prison, he was about 95, 100 kilos. So you can tell the difference very much. And his skin looked very, very dark and very uh, harsh. So um, we asked him if you have got any burns. And that's when he said yes, because of, of the sunlight and the uh, hot air blowing at me for 10 days. And during those 10 days, my dad would, uh, they would only serve him uh, at the end of the day, a piece of bread and a glass of water. Um, And that happened repeatedly for 10 days. Then after 10 days, he was moved to uh, another room with 20, 25 or 30 at times uh, uh, other prisoners in, in the same room. And my dad says he w- at times he was not able to lay down uh, because the place was so crowded and so tight. Uh, and this room also did not have any windows or air, um, like clean air. So uh, it was more uh, difficult for him and made his health even worse. And adding to that, before my dad even goes to prison in 2009, he had a, a, a tumor. On on his brain. Uh, He had it removed in another country and then came back home Uh, and he had to follow uh, to continually do checkups on his uh, brain to just make sure that this uh, tumor was not back because it was basically frozen, not removed from his brain. If they remove this brain, then he will be paralyzed. Um, My dad could not do these checkups every six months or to one year uh, because he was in prison now and uh, there are no doctors to take care of his health so he would faint more in the prison Uh, and of course um, he had no uh, good food uh, to eat that made his situation even worse
0: Sarah in light of all that your dad was going through he's got this uh, brain tumor Uh, He's in prison, he's separated from his family, Uh, he's being mistreated and tortured, and yet he was still active in sharing Jesus. Tell me about the two dozen or so Muslims that he brought to Jesus during his time in prison.
1: Yes, uh, despite the situation that my dad had in prison of not having good health and uh, being um, treated in a very bad way, He still did not uh, stop uh, sharing the gospel with uh, other prisoners. Now, I want to add that my dad was present with uh, murderers, killers, serial uh, killers, uh, with uh, drug dealers, with all kinds of um, (laughs) sorts of um, bad people in prison, even rapers. And uh, those people that heard about why my dad was in prison, they always questioned Uh, What what mistake or what crime you have done to deserve to be in such a place? That's when my dad got the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And um, yes, uh, so many uh, prisoners became believers uh, because of my
0: dad. Sarah, you must be pretty proud of your dad and his Christian faith. I mean, here's a guy that is not backing down in any way. I think it's a great example for all of us. But, you know, as a daughter, uh, seeing your dad just be so passionate and no matter what comes his way, he is going to share Jesus.
1: Yes, definitely. I'm very proud of my dad, um, despite all the feelings of um, frustration, of sadness, of uh, being afraid of what uh, could be a result of, of his stubborn stubbornness. Uh, but we still, um, we are very proud of him that he never gave up his faith. Uh, he was always talking about his faith in a very proud way. And a man in, in his position maybe would be very scared for his life, for his family's life. Uh, but he, he's a truly a believer and a follower of God, of Jesus Christ. Uh, because he he believes him in in all his heart. And he's a big example to myself and my siblings and my mom and all the people that know him personally.
0: So while your dad was in prison, there were people on the outside that were pressuring the government to have him released. In fact, an American missionary was one of the people that went to government officials, and eventually your dad was released. Again, because of security reasons, we can't give all the details of this. But Sarah, it was pretty amazing that he was finally released after being two years in prison.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, When my dad was taken to prison, uh, we knew that he would be released at some time, but not so soon. Uh, We thought that they would keep him a lot longer because definitely there are no rights for such a person that have converted to Christianity, and uh, the government never gave gave us any key that this could happen very soon, uh, but the by the pressure of missionaries from United States and even uh, other countries, uh, finally this happened. Uh, this missionary came to meet the the government uh, of my country, and um, He pushed them to release my dad as soon as they could. Uh, Also, uh, because of his health, my dad had to be released uh, as soon as possible from from the prison.
0: So your father's released from prison and government officials say that you've got 24 hours as a family to get out of the country. So things happen very quickly. You could just take a few possessions and leave. Uh, What were you guys feeling at that time uh, with everything that was going on?
1: Yes. Uh, after the release of my dad, of course, there were some conditions that my, ha- my dad had to follow when, when released. And he did not really want to agree on these conditions, but because he was so uh, in need of this uh, freedom, uh, his health was not helping him. Uh, that was to leave the country less than 24 hours. So as soon as he's out of the doors of the prison, uh, he has to um, get get on a on an airplane and, and leave uh, the country. So as soon as he got out, uh, he met with my uh, mother and my siblings. And I wasn't in the country at that time. Uh, he got in a car to the airport and out of, of, of the country. And of course, it was very overwhelming to hear this news that my dad was released. Uh, nobody... Uh, Nobody believed it 100% until we we met physically with my dad and uh, saw him in person.
0: Yeah, that was very exciting for you and your family. And you are, by the way, in the United States. And uh, you would rejoin your family in another country. And again, security issues. We can't talk about the country that you're in currently. But uh, since 2013, you have been there. Uh, you have graduated from university. Uh, you're going to be a professional once you get to Canada. Here, that's that's amazing. What has life been like for you and your family since 2013? Because it's a place that, yes, you've been there for a while now, but never knowing when you might be, uh, you know, kicked out of the country and even returned to the country that you had left, where all this, you know, problems were happening. So, Sarah, how have you and your dad, your mom and your siblings been able uh, you know, to continue life on in this third country?
1: After 2013, when uh, I met with my family and my dad was out of prison, then we, uh, we decided to focus more on our resettlement, um, even though my dad had second thoughts of going back to the country, despite that he has already agreed on the government's condition of not uh, coming back to the country, uh, so it was really difficult to convince my dad that this was very dangerous. Um, he had like like an issue of not um, not realizing or not wanting to believe uh, the dangers that he could cause so we we had a difficult time convincing him and then when uh, when we got to the point of uh, now like the country that we are in. Uh, we seeked uh, refugee, of course, and we wanted to continue life. Uh, my siblings and I, w- we were willing and wanted to continue our education, of course, because uh, it stopped for a few years when we were back in our country because of the, the situation that we were in. So we were very happy and glad that we are back into education again. Uh, my dad still did not stop preaching the gospel. He still uh, found... Uh, People to share the gospel with Uh, we found a church that uh, we would go uh, We would go to every week and we had um, Done many other activities with the churches uh, here in this country Uh, But it's still uh, and this is one of the this is Disadvantages of following Jesus Christ. It might sound very weird to um, uh, Unbelievers, but uh, I think Christians um, realize that there is no re- real resettlement when believing in Jesus Christ and doing His work, uh, because our real world is not this one. Um, one day, at one time, we will be with Jesus Christ and have our full freedom.
0: Amen. You know, the Bible tells us in Philippians that our citizenship Is in heaven. I appreciate you know being a Canadian citizen, having the Canadian passport. uh, But like you, Sarah, I realize that uh, you know we're not of this world. The Bible says that we're aliens and strangers, and that our true citizenship is in heaven. So, how is your dad doing now? And how has his health been since 2013 when you went to the country you're currently in now?
1: Uh, when we first arrived in this country, my, we immediately also started uh, checking up on my dad's health and doing lots of um, medical examination on him. Uh, at the beginning, he started uh, to find out some, some strange bacteria in his abdominal and that was uh, definitely taken from the prison that he was in. Uh, he had a, um, a big operation. And uh, a large uh, part of his intestines were uh, removed from his uh, ab- abdominal parts, and um, and then he had to recover for some time. Uh, but uh, and we, adding to that, we also did some MRIs for his brain, and uh, luckily uh, the tumor is still frozen; it still has not moved. It only has affected his earring and um, his. Uh, you know, his balance, this doesn't leave him to be so free. Uh, he gets dizzy quickly, uh, loud voices affect him. And of course, because uh, looking back in 2011, because of the, the investigators' uh, treatment, um, they had slapped his ears during the investigation, and it made him lose more hearing. Uh, his hearing was more damaged uh, in prison. So we also got him some hearing aids at that time. And uh, thank God and praise him that he's doing a lot better now.
0: Well, Sarah, we're going to continue to pray for your dad, for you, uh, your mom, your brothers, and that uh, you'll soon be in Canada, and uh, we're looking forward to meeting you and, uh, and as I said before, telling the full story. It is absolutely amazing how your family got out of uh, the country that you were in, and uh, and again, we're looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know, settle into Canada and all the things that God has for you in this next chapter of uh, of your lives of following Jesus, so thank you for being on the program today. God bless you
1: yes we are already very excited to have this chance and come to canada and settle there and we are really hoping that we can again uh start uh sharing the gospel in the same way that we did in our country and find the same people with our language and even canadian if they are they are welcoming uh to have a big church with them and uh do um, you know truly follow jesus christ because that's the vision of my family and there is no way that we want to give up on our vision because it's definitely from Jesus Christ. And he's happy when, when we are doing his work. And I think that's our mission in this world, that we need to follow his steps. And his main mission in this world was uh, to share the gospel. So that's what we want to do. We want to continue despite the, the other dreams that we have in this world. But that's our main goal. And we are really happy and really excited to uh, restart that in in Canada. Hopefully,
0: well, hopefully, and you know, very very soon. Okay, we're going to believe that you're going to be here very very soon. Thank you, Sarah, so much uh, for joining us. You're a very inspirational person, and appreciate uh, you and your family. Uh, please pass on our greetings to your mom and dad and to your brothers. And uh, we'll look forward to meeting face to face real soon. So God bless you, and thank you.
1: Yes, thank you very much. And I want to thank you personally and thank you, Jennifer, uh, from Remember Ministries for all her hard work and for um, doing everything that takes uh, to bring us to Canada. I am very grateful and very blessed uh, to have you all in our lives. You, You are all angels sent by God to us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Siri. Wow, that was a very powerful testimony. And uh, she mentioned Jenny, and that Jenny is joining me right now. Uh, her name is Jenny Miedema of Remember Ministries. That's an organization that partners with churches in Canada to help bring Christian refugees to this country. Jenny, thank you for joining me.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Greg.
0: That was a very inspirational testimony. What an amazing young lady and uh, we are so excited uh, that you're getting involved to help families like uh, Sarah and her family uh, come to Canada. So let's talk about uh, Remember Ministries. How did it all start?
2: Um, I got involved in refugee sponsorship uh, just really through God putting it on my heart um, and approaching my own church to begin some sponsorships, and then God really just grew that into a dream and a for for more and so i founded remember ministries in 2020 um, with a focus on uh working with churches to do private sponsorships for refugees who were persecuted christians
0: so jenny how did you get involved then in this particular case with sarah and her family and then finding you know church to sponsor and all the things how did how did that take place
2: Um, it's actually such a god story greg Um, But God had led me to found this new organization, Remember Ministries. And then two days after we received our incorporation, I I had an email from a friend of mine in Ontario, asking if uh, there's any chance I would be able to help find a sponsoring church for a family that he knew that was in great need. He didn't know I had just started an organization to do this very thing. Um, and so I, I took it as a sign from God and I said, yes, in faith. And, uh, and so I began uh, the process of looking for a church and, and really it was just uh, God connecting me and having the right conversation with the right person and it led us to this amazing church um, in Hamilton, Ontario, who, I, you know, God had been growing, I think, a certain dream to get more involved. And they just poured out their hearts to make this happen. We put it together in an extremely short period of time, just several months. Uh, This had happened because somebody who knew uh, Sarah's family had a dream. They live in Canada and they had a dream about the family that they were in in need. Um, And that had led to this conversation that had come to me uh jenny can you help us find a sponsoring church and so god was the author Mm. of this uh sponsorship right from the start right through to finding a partnering church and to submitting the application and he is still he is still in charge of it he will bring them here so yeah i just praise god for all that he has done
0: yeah and we met actually through a mutual friend and and i've got involved in church sponsorship at least connecting churches Uh, to families, and there's so many of them, uh, Christian refugees that have fled persecution, it it can be a bit overwhelming. But the thing is, we can do it one person, one family at a time. So that is something very, you know, important to remember. Uh, So Jenny, how do churches then get involved? And Uh, you know, because people will think, oh, you know, there's thousands and thousands of dollars, and what's the commitment? And again, as I said, I've been involved in this, and I've seen as an example, uh, several churches in Sulukat, Ontario, uh, that got together, so I think there's four or five churches, and they have sponsored two families so far from Pakistan that are here, they've got two more families they've sponsored uh, from Syria, and this is a small community in northern Ontario, Um, and and when I was challenging them, said, you know, I, I really, in my heart, I think, we we need to do this. We need to be concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ that really have no option. They have to leave their countries. Uh, they're you know living in a you know like in Sarah's case, a country that they can't stay for a long period of time. So, how do you encourage churches to get involved?
2: Uh, really, I like to share with churches um, uh, what God has shared with me, and that is that is really who we are um, as members of the body of Christ. And what does it mean to be part of this global body in 2022? Um, Because we are able to be more connected than ever before, uh, no matter where people are in the world. So I can build a strong relationship uh, with, with refugees on the other side of the world, with persecuted Christians. I can bring encouragement. But when they are in desperate need, I can also bring help. So the church, you know, must display Jesus to the world and unity in love is the lifeblood of the church. So I share this with churches and explain how we must strengthen the bonds between us, between between all members, but also between um, us here and the those who have pers- been persecuted for the gospel of Christ. Uh, we, we love all, all refugees and all people, but we must show honor to those who have suffered yeah. for the cause of Christ, and really they have suffered for the body of Christ. They have suffered for us. Um, so it is, it is incumbent upon us, and it is a great honor and opportunity for churches in Canada to reach out, to uh, rescue, to bring hope, and really to embrace tangibly uh, these brothers and sisters of ours. So that is what yeah. I share with churches. And I believe the Holy Spirit has already gone ahead of me and is putting this um, on the hearts of pastors and, and churchgoers throughout Canada. So, so when I bring the same vision, it just strikes a chord and we are already on the same page.
0: Yeah, and that and that happened in the local church that I was in when I, you know, I, and i gone to some of the leadership said, we need to do this. And I thought, you know, you're just kind of twist arms and do all these things, but, you know, it was already in the heart of the people. And, you know, here's the thing that happens, Jenny, that I've seen. Uh, And again, there, you know, people come from various cultures and there's some, you know, some collisions and things that go on for sure. It's, it's not always the perfect process, but I have seen where families have come and, and they have joined in the local churches, or in some cases they go to maybe more of an ethnic church, but there's this connection and it builds up the faith. They become a part of the local body, and it encourages them and and sometimes sparks some real good things in the spirit, I just so recommend that churches get involved. Now, I just want to do say, though, that the Voice of the Martyrs, as an organization, we don't do church sponsorship, and the reason that is because we're working in the country and we would get overwhelmed. So that's why I appreciate people like Jenny, uh, me personally, Greg Musselman, Christian in Canada. I have a heart and a passion for this as well, and 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 I'm talking to churches as I'm traveling and speaking on behalf of the persecuted church, so we need to get involved. You have a website, rememberministries.com, and you get a hold of Jenny. She can answer your questions, and again, I would encourage you to be at least praying about it and seeing what the Holy Spirit may say for you to do. The reality is the needs are many. There are so many desperate people. I know you and I, Jenny, we go back and forth on emails. We talk and, you know, consider different families. And it brings us to tears because we can't sponsor every family, but we can do our part. And I just am so passionate about this. And, and talking to Sarah today, and uh, you know, both of us were in tears as we listened to her story. Uh, they have been through so much trauma. And we're looking forward to them coming to Canada so that they can just heal up. And and I can tell you that her dad wants to go back to the particular country where he was brutally persecuted because of his love for Jesus. He knows that the hope is in Christ. So, Jenny, thank you for all you're doing. Um, and again, we're looking forward to a celebration soon in Ontario where uh, we're, we're going to all be able to break bread together uh, with Sarah, her dad, or mom, or brothers, and it's going to be great. And we're going to continue to, uh, you know, help families come to this country. So God bless you and all you're doing.
2: Thank you so much, Greg, and God bless you and all that you're doing. You know, it, God is our only hope. And he gives us this great love for one another. And there is much joy in the work that we do,
0: isn't there? There is so much joy. It's hard, there's painful, there's frustration, there's all those things. And as Sarah was talking about in her story, the the times of of fear, of, of feeling desperate, um, all the things, all the emotions that were going on, and yet still there was the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I'm reminded, you know, Jesus gives us a burden that is light, the yoke is easy but it doesn't mean that we don't persevere and we go forward and are also willing to pay the price as well. Thank you for listening to Closer to the Fire. Jenny, thank you. Sarah, thank you as well. Um, And one of the things that I would really encourage you to do to mention to people about this podcast, it's not about building up the voice of the martyrs. It's about hearing our brothers and sisters, their story so we can be more effective in prayer And, and God is using you know, podcasts, and videos, and uh, the internet, all that he is using around the world uh, to build up the body of Christ. I am convinced that the Spirit of the Lord is being poured on on all flesh. Persecution is, is increasing as a result, but the kingdom of God is advancing. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.